When faced with crisis, we are called to remember what is truly important to our salvation. In the name of Christ who tells us the last will be first and the first will be last. Amen. Good morning. Well, this week, the world changed, didn't it? Overnight, the rules on stock trades tightened and an esteemed Wall Street institution disappeared. A huge international insurer was buttressed by the federal bank and both presidential campaigns completely retooled their messages around that now old adage, it's the economy, stupid. And after a week where some people woke up to find themselves without work, without pensions, or at least somewhere they didn't expect to find themselves on that vast spectrum between lots and nothing, central banks worldwide began coordinating their efforts, and our national leadership decided it was time for the government to work out a way to bail out the free markets to the tune of $700 billion. Now that's a figure that seems too huge for me to imagine. Then the papers report that part of this will involve raising the national debt ceiling to $11.3 trillion, a truly staggering number indeed. But I'll stop there. Because many of you know the story better than I do. Because some of you work in this, live and breathe it day in and day out. So why bring up the greatest financial meltdown, some say, since the Great Depression? In a sermon on a sunny Sunday morning at Church of Our Savior here in Mill Valley. Why talk about dollars and debt and the economy at all in a liturgy that's supposed to be all about God? Well, because, of course, first and foremost, some of us work in that economic world. And some of our sisters and brothers have been hit by the unprecedented swings in the markets this week, and they have lost. And all of us, for sure, are uncertain about what will happen next. And then, into the midst of all this, comes today's very strange parable about simple street economics or maybe not so simple, street economics. And I am left wondering just what is the connection between Wall Street, Main Street, and Jesus' imaginary street where the workers are hanging out, waiting for employment in the vineyard. In discussing this gospel over lunch this week, a colleague put it quite simply. It's not fair. It's not fair. Period. We are rankled, some openly and others quietly inside, about CEOs walking away from failed financial giants with their tens of millions in golden parachutes, while nameless employees of the same companies, good, hard-working people who have devoted decades to the institution are left with nothing, 
Their savings and pensions are gone, and they have nowhere to turn. But if we think about it for very long, we might be rankled too if we were in Jesus' parable, first to show up to the vineyard, but discovering at the end of the day we receive no more than those who arrived at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And might not we be annoyed with the landowner, God even, who argues like any governing board or manager that we received what we agreed to. Doesn't matter whether you're a CEO or an office assistant. You got what you agreed to, along with all the risks, perks, and privileges. It's not fair. It's not fair. And if Wall Street and the current mess in the nation's economy punches a hole in good old-fashioned notions of American fairness, then so does today's gospel. Full stop. In some ways, it might be even easier for us to cope with Wall Street's unfairness. Risk, we could say, is part of the game we sign up for when we invest either ourselves or capital or both. But, you know, we didn't really sign up to invest in God's universe. We simply are here. So if God is just as unfair, maybe we have even a greater cause to complain. Because at the heart of our theological angst is the same fear at the heart of the greater world's angst this week, that bad things happen to good people. And rarely do we receive what we expect, what we consider fair. The world, the universe, and even God's way of being among us seems so much of the time unpredictable and capricious, out of our control, without negotiation. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, the last will be first and the first will be last. And there doesn't seem much wiggle room for proclaiming not fair and no cosmic or heavenly SEC or federal regulatory commission or congressional hearing or even a Supreme Court to intervene and adjudicate the final divine decision. So now then, who wants a God like that? An arbitrary God, it seems. One who seems unable to connect with our notions of fairness to the point that our faith in a greater power who loves us might be profoundly shaken. But the deeper challenge that I hear Jesus posing for us, his followers, as well as his earliest disciples, is this. Our notions of fairness often mask our desire to get ahead. And get ahead on entirely the wrong terms and over the wrong things. I know of myself that my inner dialogue often goes something like this. If only the playing field were really level, were really fair, then I could get ahead. Why? Well, because I'm smarter and tougher and more resilient than a lot of other people. And I show up early and I stay late. I take on more than they do. I work harder. 
Because if truth be told, my notion of leveling the playing field is really about leveling the playing field for me. Fairness is fair only when it gives me an edge, an advantage. So I can show up to the vineyard early and get one of the better endowed contracts. That's what the landowner means in a profound way in the parable when he questions the fairness argument at its core, when he asks those who are grumbling because they came early, when he asks them quite simply if they did not receive what they agreed to. They really wanted to be ahead of those loafers who came late because they believed they deserve it more. Barbara Brown Taylor puts it this way, This parable sounds quite different whether you're standing at the end of the line. It sounds quite different if you're standing at the end of the line than it does if you're standing at the front of the line. But isn't it interesting that 99% of us hear it from the front row seats? We are the ones who have gotten the short end of the stick. We are the ones who have been gypped. We are the ones who have gotten up early and worked hard and stayed late, and all for what? So that some backward householder can come along and start at the wrong end of the line, treating us just like the 'er ne'er-do-wells who do not even get dressed until noon? It's not fair. It's not fair. So does that archetypal CEO with the $20 million in parachute, the golden parachute, deserve what he gets any more than his co-worker elsewhere in the company who lost everything? The world's answer might be yes, and it might be no, or it might wash its hands of the matter and call it capitalism or the risks and rewards of the marketplace. Maybe we could delve deep into the personal history of each of those persons and and the string of choices that led one to the top of the corporate ladder and the other into a much more obscure, less financially secure position. Or we could push it back a layer, as we often do, and talk about their education, where they grew up, what opportunities they had, or their parents' example, and then set out to fix that. But how far back would we go? Where would we stop? Would we boil it down as someone to genetics? Gender? But maybe given today's gospel, we're asking the wrong questions if we take that road. Because it seems the more profound truth to me that Jesus is arguing to us out of today's parable is that we have to come to terms with reality, God's reality. And that is that we all came into this life with nothing, and we all leave it with nothing, except, except the real wage that God has promised us. And to understand that wage of grace, look at what happens, my sisters and brothers, when we come to the altar for Eucharist.
Each of us, no matter where we appear on the socioeconomic spectrum, whether we won, lost, or drew even this week, whether we work hard or enjoy leisure, whether we deserve it or not, even whether we've been good or bad or indifferent, each of us approaches the altar and receives exactly the same wage of grace, the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ crucified and risen for us. And you know what? That's where our true identity resides. Not in our portfolios or our positions. Not in the stature of our work or our status in community. Please, don't let the nice clothes or the snazzy title or the high pulpit fool you. Truly the last will be first, and the first will be last. It's the world that measures in terms of economic prowess and political power. God's realm looks at human value and identity through a radically different lens, a lens we call grace. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, likely written when Paul was in prison towards the end of his life, caps today's gospel message with this little tidbit. Neither our life nor our death is as important as Christ's life in us. Full stop. It's that resurrected life in Christ that can help us turn to one another in these tumultuous times and hold each other up. It's Christ's life in us that can lead us out into a world that is struggling and suffering in the present chaos. It's Christ's life that can lead us out into it with a renewed purpose where we live no longer for ourselves, but for the one who made us and for God's creation, God's people, and a world that is in need of hope. And that's a purpose that transcends Wall Street and Main Street and lives wherever compassion renews our humanity. It leaves behind the arguments about what is fair and instead works for justice, A justice that restores relationship and human dignity and community. And in doing so participates in that new life that Christ has given us. That life in Christ that guides us and nourishes us through the uncharted wilderness and leads us together towards the promised land. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people 
through the breaking of bread and in service to others, in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org We wish you God's peace and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.